Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everybody. Thank you to all the listeners who have been following our show in some remote places. And thank you also to the people who have written in to explain why they are listening to it in their country of origin. It has been so interesting to learn about why it is so powerful for people in those places. And I will be getting back to all of you who have written in. Let me know too when you write in if you want me to not necessarily use your name, but to um, explain what some of your reasoning was and read some of your emails on the podcast. People have been curious to hear. I feel lucky that I get to hear your explanation, but let me know if it's okay if I read it for the rest of the listeners who are at times equally curious about this. So thank you to the recent listeners all over the world and especially in this past week in Canada and Australia, Germany, Mexico, and Australia. I am curious about all those places and also Mexico. That is one where we seem to have a lot of listeners this past week or two. So, of course, as always, let me know why. And so for today, we have Dr. Clint Haycock. He is an ex-evangelical pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years and the host of the MindShift podcast. Clint grew up in the Church of Christ with parents who followed the Bill Gothard method of child-rearing. I've been hearing a lot about that method of child-rearing, and it is disturbing and destructive. After deconstructing his former Christian faith and leaving it behind more than a decade ago, he's used his podcast platform to educate and help those who have left religion to rebuild their lives. Recently, Clint has been dedicated to speaking out about the dangers posed by the Christian right, dominion theology, and Christian nationalism. Today's episode is actually a two-part conversation. You'll be hearing the first half of the conversation here on Indoctrination, and you can listen to the second half now over at Clint's MindShift podcast. You can find a link to MindShift in the show notes of this episode. Here is Clint now. It is a total treat to have Clint Haycock back on the podcast today. I know that a lot of people heard your first episode with us and loved what you had to say, loved how much you were speaking from experience, but also all of your research. And that was really, um, truly appreciated. So thank you for that. If you don't mind just taking a few moments and reintroducing yourself, and then we'll start chatting. Yes, thank you, Rachel. I'm super excited to be back on the show. And as we may have mentioned somewhere at some point, but we're, we're doing a collaborative episode, aren't we? So half of this will be on the indoctrination. And then the other half, people are going to have to head over to my show, which is called the Mind Shift Podcast. 
And yeah, I'm an ex-evangelical. I was a Bible college teacher. I was a pastor for about 20 years. I was doing everything, seminary and all the rest of it. I was all in, 100%. I was a good old Christian, pastor, preacher, Bible college teacher, all of it. Walked away from it all, deconstructed it all. And now in the last 10 or 15 years, I've been speaking out not just about the dangers and toxicity of Christianity, what it can do as far as damage, religious trauma syndrome, but the Christian right, dominion theology, cult psychology, cult tactics. So like you said, my research has taken me a long ways, but yeah, I'm really excited to connect up again. So nice. And thank you for mentioning that we're going to be doing this crossover episode. It is really good to feel this kind of collaborative vibe where, you know, that we can start the conversation here, touch on certain issues, then continue, and we'll see where it goes when I'm on the show. Um, Because sometimes it goes in certainly different directions. So please check it out. I want to know, you just mentioned dominion. So can you describe what that is when you research that, you know, in comparison to the other things that you've been researching, just to define that for the listeners? Well, if people have seen the series on Netflix called The Family, which was a book written by Jeff Charlotte, he's written a couple of books. In fact, he's just got a new book that came out, I think this year called uh, The Undertow, I think it is. And it's a another fascinating book about sort of the dangers of the Christian right in America politically. And that's the key thing. I'd never heard of the term dominion theology until I saw the family. And they talked about this very secretive organization based out of Washington, D.C., and they're extremely involved in the political sector. A lot of it's behind the scenes. The one thing they do is the National Prayer Breakfast. I think it's every February. And that's the only sort of thing they do that shines any spotlight on the family or the Fellowship Foundation. So when I heard that term, Dominion Theology, I said, what is that? I've been studying theology my whole life. I've been teaching it, preaching it, never heard that term. I went back and researched it, and a lot of it goes back. It's a long story, but it's the idea of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where God is in the narrative, God is speaking to Adam and Eve, and he basically tells them you know, to rule over the earth and take dominion over it. And that verse has always been historically interpreted, mostly in Christianity, as meaning environmental stewardship. So when he said, oh, take dominion, it means we have to take care of the earth and the resources on the earth and all the rest of it. But about probably 50, 60 years ago, it started to be uh, interpreted differently to mean political dominion. Christians must take political dominion over America and then ultimately the world. And there's a lot of different sort of ways that can be done, but that's basically the idea. That's their sort of key go-to verse is that God has mandated Christians to take dominion. So a lot of what's going on in the Christian right in the last 50 years or so has been sort of fueled by that basic worldview or that model. Okay, so interesting because it it hits home so much now with, you know, with this woman on the Supreme Court, you know, who was uh, a handmaid, that was her title in her group, uh, which is frightening. You know, just the term itself kind of gives me, you know, shivers. And also having uh, someone who was in my uh, former cult member support group who was in the same group as Comey and said, I recognize that way of speaking. I recognize the terminology. I recognize that countenance. I recognize sort of that floating. I am kind of superior, the kind of sense of dominion over a space. And it was giving her, actually, as she said, the creeps. And also now with our new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. So there's a lot happening here. And I'm wondering what you're finding where you are, too, if there is an infusion into government there. 
Not here. I live in the UK. I've been here about 18 years. I've got my citizenship. I'm an expat, never going back. But one thing that we do have that's different here in Britain is that you don't see that sort of involvement in politics by the evangelical sort of hard right like you do in America. And indeed, some of the other countries of the world, we're seeing this in South America and other places, Brazil and other things where that's starting to develop now, even in Canada, which has been a fairly you know progressive nation there's a movement among certain kind of far-right conservative Christians to sort of infiltrate the political halls of power. So it's not necessarily a thing here in the UK and in Europe, you don't see it as much, but it is a dangerous trend, I think, that we that we can sort of catch on to worldwide. Right. And there, and there are certainly some places that are way more safeguarded than others. And I know there's been this real sense of danger for a lot of people here in the United States, just about realizing over the last few years how many safeguards still need to be put in place for a lot of reasons. Because, you know, people were thinking that if someone who was president and wants to be president again uh, can do so many things and can be indicted so many times and it doesn't matter that it should matter uh, or else what's the point of doing it? And so there are a lot of loopholes. So I'm glad to hear where you are. It's different. It's true. And yeah, it's a it's a huge concern though over here because I follow the news every day. What's going on with the Trump campaign for 2024? And there's been this recent development as we're doing this recording now uh, in, in Denver, Colorado, I should say, where he's been ruled off the party ticket or off the state ballot, I should say, which, you know, by the time this podcast episode airs, there's going to be some development happening there. It'll be appealed and go to the Supreme Court, I guess. But, you know, there, there's a lot of people that seem to be wanting to stop Donald Trump desperately from getting on the ticket, you know, or winning the, he's going to win the nomination for the political uh, Republican Party, isn't he? But the the kind of narrative that I saw in the run up to 2016, and it shocked a lot of people, including me, as a sort of former evangelical then, I'm thinking, I can see right through this guy. How come the evangelicals in America can't do the same thing? But as time's gone on, I've realized basically they made a Faustian bargain. They, I think they really did sell their souls. They sold whatever credibility they had left to get that dominion. And Trump, in a sense, promised to deliver that for them. And in a lot of ways, he did. As you mentioned, he appointed three Supreme Court justices, which was absolutely a campaign promise to his evangelical base. And then they turn around and overturn Roe versus Wade off the back of having a Supreme Court majority conservative panel. So this is exactly what they're saying we won. Now they're taking aim at LGBTQ rights and you know other things like that, progressive gains. They want to roll back these things. So this is the long-term strategy. They've been working at this for a very long time, decades. This is not a new thing. Right. And it is frightening to see the encroachment and, uh, right, taking away uh, abortion rights, et cetera, et cetera. You know, also the rhetoric about, you know, as Trump talks, that, you know, he's going to rally the troops, basically, and um, and already has to a great degree. And that there are a lot of people who will say it really doesn't matter what he says. He is our leader. Uh, and it's, that's chilling in and of itself. And so I think what happens, too, when you compare that to some of the more fundamentalist branches of religion, sometimes it matters what the leadership says, or it just it matters that you believe that it is coming from on high. And then you just take it on as as truth. And so I think in order for you to make the change that you made, which was a drastic shift, you really need to look 
at what it is that you're being taught and look at the words, pay attention to them, pay attention to the ideas. And I'm wondering what it was for you. And then I want to get into some of the research that you've been doing, what it was for you. And I think you talked about this a little bit last time, but just for the listeners now, if there was something in particular that was your turning point that kind of disengaged you or was it cumulative? And what were some of the things that you were starting to notice? Well, I've just hopefully, when this podcast episode drops, I've got a book that I've just written in the editing stage right now, and it's called Baptism, Third Times a Charm, My Story of Deconversion from Christianity. And in that book, I talk about how I was baptized not once, not twice, but three times. So going through the book, writing the book actually was a cathartic exercise, as it's often the case, isn't it? When you're telling your own story, what would happen is I would remember more things, and then I'd go back and add you know, more and more and more details. I'm like, oh my God, I remember, I remember growing up in a very fundamentalist, conservative Church of Christ in the Seattle, Washington area. And I was, like I said before, I was all in to the point where when it wasn't apparently working, I questioned, it was always my fault, my problem. So this this solution was to get baptized again and then again and again, you know? So I was, it wasn't a one-off sort of thing that I said, that's it, I walk, I'm walking away. It was a, a decades-long, lifelong process of deconstruction, deconversion. And I can see now there were times throughout my life where you know you have those cognitive dissonance kind of moments where you, you're questioning things, you're doubting things, but somebody talks you off the ledge, somebody keeps you going and you shelve your concerns, you shelve your doubts, you push it to the back of the shelf. But I think maybe uh, Dr. Yanya Lalich has that analogy where the mental shelf finally becomes overloaded with all the cognitive distance, and at some point it collapses, and then you you've got nothing, and that's kind of what happened. It was a long process, but in the end, I couldn't sustain the cognitive dissonance, and I finally said, "This isn't working. It doesn't work," and I'm, I've spent my whole life in its service, so I'm walking away. Right, and in its service, also thinking about that term. That there are a lot of people who feel resentful of how much they did, how much they served, and to what end, and to whom, and for what reason. And so that can also be part of some of the emotional reaction that people have when they leave, that they devoted themselves and devoted their time and devoted their faith and trust in what turned out to not be what they thought. And that certainly makes an impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can make you very angry. I think I went through that phase. You see that with people that walk away from a cult or something like that, a controlling environment where you spent maybe decades in the service of this group or idea or whatever you want to call it. You're so angry. You know, and I spent a lot of years, I was really pissed off and angry because I, I mean, I spent tens of thousands of dollars and pounds down in this country getting my, you know, bachelor's degrees, two master's degrees, a doctorate degree, and teaching it and preaching it as a as a pastor and a Bible college teacher. I devoted my entire adult life to the service of God in the church and to extending the kingdom and all those great things, only to walk away from it all. You know, I should have done something else. I should have been a history teacher. I should have been you know, anything uh, more productive than what I sort of became, you know? So I think that is a process you just have to work through. And I guess in some ways I'm still working through it. Even now I've left the church and all that more than 10, 15 years ago. Right. And, you know, what's interesting is with with all the research you're doing in the book, I mean, you are 
actually a history teacher now, right? You're teaching us the history of a lot of things and the definitions and how things came to be and doing it in your own fashion and with the subject that really speaks to your heart. So it's nice to know you get to be that now to whatever degree. But I think there is something really great about all the research that you have done. And so I know that you have some tasty morsels that you've come across <laughs> that you can teach us about today. So go for it. What what have you come across that's been interesting and or disturbing to you? Well, that's it. I was going to say on that note, what you were saying made me think that one of the positives I've learned about the reconstruction process after you deconstruct your beliefs and then you walk away, you've got to rebuild everything, build it back up. And that is that you have to take the positive elements from your past and make use of them in a constructive way. So for example, as you mentioned, I mean, I'm a, I'm a professional academic. I spent 14, 15 years in higher education as a teacher as well, another eight years after that, teaching undergraduate and graduate level students. So I'm, I'm wired to think in academic terms and research terms. I did my PhD. It was a research PhD. It took me four years to do it. You know, so those skills I still use. I don't, I didn't just jettison all that background. I'm not a believer anymore, but I, the skills I learned are valuable. So in that sense, now I'm using it for different purposes in a, in a way than what I was. I'm not teaching theology, but I know the language. So when I research, you know, one of them we mentioned before we hit record, I've done a huge amount of work on a guy named Doug Wilson, who's a very controversial pastor out of Moscow, Idaho. And that's what I did. I just basically used my research skills to delve into his backstory and all the controversies and things he'd done. And because I know the language, I can speak his language theologically, it's not some foreign thing to me. I know exactly what he's talking about when he uses certain buzzwords and things, you know. So that's one of the juiciest things I guess I've done this year. I've done a bunch of episodes, probably seven or eight. They're about two to three hours long. Massive amount of work uh, just getting the word out there. Wow. Okay. So clearly there's something about him that intrigued you and that you wanted to know more about and that you want people to know about. And so tell us about him and what makes him stand out to you. What makes him stand out is that he's so popular among not just sort of the far right, hard right Christians, but he's gaining a massive following just in your sort of garden variety evangelical world. And that is because he is incredibly clever. I mean, hats off to the guy in the sense that he is very, very slick in terms of his marketing. And he's got a, he's got basically a religious empire up there in Moscow. It's not just a church. He's got a church. He's got a seminary. He's got a Bible college. He's got a, a school, a day school. He's got a publishing arm. He's got a it's called it's called Canon Press. And so basically everything he publishes and his cronies, he's got sort of a group of authors, sort of his fanboys around him, this sort of far right, you know, Calvinist, whatever, dominionist kind of worldview going on. And he they they will publish these guys. So they've got a, an instant publishing arm. They've got an Amazon, he's got an Amazon Prime show, he's got a podcast. I mean, he's a very prolific writer and speaker. He speaks at conferences all over the country, you know, so he's everywhere in that sense. He's literally everywhere. He's got this mega empire that he's built. And essentially the danger is that what got me into it was that I read some articles about how the church called Christ Church, they're basically trying to take over the town of Moscow, Idaho. And this was the uh, sort of dominionist angle. They're trying to model it in real time. They're saying, in effect, Hey, you know, you want to look what, see what dominion, taking dominion looks like politically and economically and in other ways, look no further than Christchurch in Moscow, Idaho. 
and we'll show you what it means. And this is a model that a lot of other Christians are now going, hey, we see something there. Uh, we can emulate this guy. Um, and it's it's a real concern. The slick marketing is maddening. You know, you see it a lot with a lot of people who are pretending to be counselors, coaches, healers, you know, a lot of the, the pseudoscience that's out there is science and um, magic cures, but also just the people out there saying, I can fix this for you. In fact, I can fix everything. And the teal swans, the ones who, you know, know how to come across very slick and uh, you know how to work the camera and the internet. And uh, now she's hawking some products and oils and whatever else that are cure-alls and, you know, just using everything to market herself. And and just, you know, not necessarily coming up with anything new, but kind of grabbing it from other people, but packaging. And it shouldn't be that, especially for a spiritual leader, that what makes them popular is packaging. It should be because they have this sort of this spiritual awareness that is helpful at, out of this sort of humility. Like, I just happen to have information that I think would be helpful to you. Let me offer it. You know, it's not that kind of just very relaxed, come sit next to me and we'll talk. It is this huge production um, with many people who are working, I'm sure, many hours a day and probably for very little, if any, pay um, and are getting points for, I think, being good Christians for devoting themselves and doing, I think, a lot of free labor for this person, as I've heard. Among, I'm, there could be some people getting paid too, but it, uh, it happens rarely. And that they they don't mind taking advantage. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things about Wilson. There's a lot of real red flags, amber flags, you know, about his empire. But a lot of people have a key. And I, I would say, too, that if it's not a cult, it's cultish. His, his empire and his church and everything else, there's been documented cases of a lot of damage. Because the thing about Wilson is he's one of these guys, he's sort of one of the main spokesmen now for this whole biblical Christian patriarchy movement. It's like Doug Wilson's telling the truth. Finally, there's someone up there who's standing up to the system and telling these woke people that they're all messed up and it's all bullshit. And he's going on this line of, you know, men need to be in charge and the whole beard bros thing. You know, there's a whole movement there, the manosphere, and his message is finding resonance in, you know, the sort of manosphere. There's some of the, his acolytes have spoken at a manosphere conference in Florida. You know, these pastors are going in and speaking at a, a secular manosphere event. Why is that? Because they're preaching this message of patriarchy and all that. So it's finding all these inroads into places that you normally wouldn't think, you know, and there's been a lot of documented cases of abuses and marital rape and, you know, just horrific stories coming out of his church and his his schools. There's been cases of abuse of students, you know, so this is the kind of guy that Doug Wilson is, unfortunately. Right. And so uh, I'm curious, you know, I was thinking actually about a lot of these books that I come across that are about child rearing that are written by these fundamentalist people. Yeah, the these, pearls and you others. You know, the, what's his name? Yeah, uh, Dr. James Dobson, the whole, all the things like, you know, the new dare to discipline. <laughs> yeah. Really? That is just, that makes me yeah, nervous just hearing child. the title. Those are the books I was raised. My parents were, you know, uh, I remember listening to Focus on the Family as a kid, you know, Christian radio. That was one of the very few things allowed in my house. So, yeah, I, I grew up on Dobson and his books and all that. Right. And I'm treating some of the after effects of having been raised that way. Uh, there was someone on the podcast uh, about a month or two ago who said that 
he would be introduced by his parents as the one who was beaten the most, but they would say it with pride. Like they have learned how to take charge of this boy. And this boy was someone who just sometimes would wander off and want to look at a tree and want to appreciate what was around him, but couldn't do that. You know, you have to sit still and be perfect. And in a very um, kind of uh, non-developmentally appropriate way um, and uh, learn to be perfect. And families get a lot of kudos for having what seemed like perfect, if not miserable, anxious children. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to bring up another name, and that is if people have seen the series Shiny Happy People on Amazon Prime, that's the Bill Gothard, what's called now Institute in Basic Life Principles. When I was a kid, my parents were into that as well. It was called Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. And we were you know, into Bill Gothard seminars. My parents were, my dad was the president of the hosts and hostess committee, which was sort of like, you know, mid-level leadership when they would come to town in Seattle they would help seat people and be ushers and, you know, be involved in all that. So my parents were more than just attendees. But yeah, so that's another name, Bill Gothard and James Dobson. You know, so you're talking about generations of kids like the Duggars who were raised to to have this picture-perfect sort of poster family of what Christians. But even that is part of this issue of, of going back to the Dominion theology piece, and Doug Wilson's involved in this as well. And that is that their vision is to take Dominion over the world by raising up generations after generations of Christian kids. And a big way that they are going to achieve that is through homeschooling. So that's why the Duggars are so involved in that particular movement. It's not just about raising a good family and and certain ways of interpreting the Bible. They're going to take dominion by just simply producing enough generations of Christian kids who are going to take over the world. So you get the Madison Cawthorns, the Josh Duggars. You know, these are the people that are supposed to be the next leaders of the world. And Christians, that, and that's how they're going to take dominion. That's one strategy by which they think they're going to do it. Incredible. And so, um, also, you mentioned uh, Beard Bros and the Manosphere. So, the the kind of whipping people up into a frenzy over an issue that's not an issue. And so, you know, you can make something an issue if you cause people to feel that their strength, their ability, their freedom is threatened— then now you have people who are going to be able to be kind of caught up in this torch and pitchfork way of being about something that might not be something. And so can you talk a little bit about those movements and what you think the outcome is going to be from all of that? Well, like you said, that's a longstanding tactic that the Christian right has used. One of my favorite books that got me into a lot of this is called Holy Terror by Conway and Siegelman. It's out of print now, but you can still get it on eBay and Amazon here and there. And I've had them on the show a few times. And the thing about what they did is back in the late 1970s, when the Christian right was really first starting to get off the ground, we're talking now the end of the Jimmy Carter era and the beginning of the Ronald Reagan era, when the evangelicals turned on Jimmy Carter because they realized he was more liberal than they maybe bargained for. They then you know, got in bed with Ronald Reagan, the National Association of Evangelicals. And a lot of that, like I say, was fueled by this dominionist ideology. And what happened was they started tra- tracing how this movement worked. And the the reason their book is called Holy Terror is what you just basically articulated, and that is they use fear tactics to mobilize the base. And one of the biggest ones, as we now know, was abortion. And that's where you know the moral majority and other sort of Christian right organizations came around in the late 1970s and early 80s was they found that 
this topic of abortion after Roe versus Wade passed in 73 would mobilize a massive amount of Christian voters. And that's exactly what their strategy was. And it's been that same strategy. Fear, you know, allied with Christian nationalism, which is another thing that we should talk about. And that's how they motivate their base. And as we're seeing now, they're just stripping away the rights of ordinary everyday Americans. And they've, someone said the other day, it's like we've slept, walked into it. We just let them do it. We could see it happening and it's friggin' happen. And now what? How are they going to roll it back now? Ooh, we have slept, walked into it. You know, that I could, oh, I could finish that uh, into it, whatever it is that we have just been sleepwalking into it. Oh, there's so many things that I could end that sentence with now. And it is frightening just to see sort of this cascade that happens. And it's kind of this undercurrent. And we just sort of watch it happening and growing, and sometimes not knowing what it's going to turn into, not knowing also that it's the tip of the iceberg. Uh, and not knowing, just like with an iceberg, how forceful it's going to be and how much it's going to interfere with our way of life as we know it. I need to get that book if I can find it, maybe on Amazon for used books. I do have their book, Snapping, which was one of my first books to introduce me to, you know, this whole idea of what can happen. And uh, it was really great. I think it was in, from the 70s. Just after the Jim Jones Guyana tragedy, I think it came out in 79 or 80. So it was right there, perfectly timed, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. Really, truly. And the cult explosion in America in the late 70s. And they were like right on the cusp of all that. I think they were one of the first, the first authors, like you say, to document academically, really, what was going on in terms of this sort of cult explosion that came out of the late 70s, you know? And so, uh, and then they turn their uh, it, it, attention to the Christian right. And a lot of this stuff does overlap, doesn't it? Like you said, it's like the cult psychology, cult tactics, and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I I want to uh, get into Christian nationalism, if we can. I know we're like hopping through a lot of major subjects that are, you know, things that you could talk about for days each. Um, so I know we're just doing, you know, cliff notes here. But, you know, I think still cliff notes are better than better than not covering it at all. Um, you know, and I, I've talked about this on the podcast before that uh, what happened at Jonestown was for a lot of people, their first introduction into what can happen and understanding that a street preacher could get to this point and bring people to that point. And so that is why when I started the this podcast, I decided to have as my first guest, um, Patricia Ryan, Leo J. Ryan's daughter, who... And we had worked together at the Cultural Awareness Network. And now don't contact the Cultural Awareness Network because it's owned and run by Scientology, who took it over. FYI. I did not know that. I'm not surprised, though. As sneaky as they are. Right? Sneaky, sneaky. They they infiltrated it, get, took it down, sued it, whatever it was, 40, 50 times, uh, ran it into the ground. And then the the name of the organization was able to be purchased, purchased by them. Um, so just so you know, if you're calling the Cultural Awareness Network, you're going to have some very cheerful answering the phone who is going to try to get you into Scientology. So it's good to know. But I contacted her because, you know, her father was killed at Jonestown trying to rescue his constituents and trying to find out what was happening there. And it was really because of that, that being publicized that people started saying, wait, what? He went to go help his constituents and was murdered on the tarmac. What is happening here? So. It was really quite incredible. And she was driving over the Golden Gate Bridge when she heard the announcement of her father's death. And 
hearing her tell a story was very powerful. So she devoted her herself to this work for quite some time, which was lovely. So shifting gears to Christian nationalism, a huge subject, something on a lot of people's minds. Can you tell me what it is that you're studying about it now or what you're noticing happening and how it's growing and where it's going? Well, I would just say the reason it's such a concern was a number of reasons, but in their book, Taking America Back for God, I don't know if you've read that, but Sam Perry and Andrew Whitehead, they're sociologists of religion, came out a few years ago now, but they did a massive survey, a nationwide survey, and what they found was the number one driver for voters voting for Trump was Christian nationalism. So it's not a made-up thing. It's not something that could be an incipient threat. No, Whitehead and Perry proved that the number one driver for Trump voters was Christian nationalism. Now they said, what is Christian nationalism? It's essentially the belief that America was founded to be a Christian nation, has essentially slipped from that path, going back to the Puritans and the Pilgrims. Then what we need to do is get it back. And that's been the driver behind a lot of the, even the Dominion theology. It is all interrelated because the drive, even we could say, you could look at the overturning of Roe versus Wade. That is, you could interpret the whole thing in terms of Christian nationalism. So if you take my narrative and say, okay, America was a Christian nation, it slipped from the path, it needs to get back into the Christian nation status once again. So if abortion is a national sin, which is what we've been told since the early days of the Christian right, then God is angry with America and he's punishing America. We want to get back to a place where he's blessing us again. Therefore, we must stop and outlaw abortion, and God will start blessing America again because we will have taken a big step down that road of becoming a Christian nation again. We need to outlaw gay rights and all those other things, roll back those progressive gains, because that's what's stopping God from blessing us as a nation, and we need to get that status back. So that's a lot of what's what's driven the anti-abortion, anti-homosexual you know, agenda, quote-unquote, on the Christian right. Incredible. It is. It's frightening, I think, also knowing that there's so many people who believe this and who have this as their mission. And, you know, when you decide that something is for a particular cause or that it was meant to be a certain way, like that this was supposed to be a Christian nation, whether or not it says that anywhere, uh, then you know that then um, things can be interpreted, reinterpreted, misinterpreted for any gain. And so if it's not this, it could have been something else. And that it doesn't matter what the true intention was, even though it should always. But for a lot of people, it, they can just uh, override it and convince people that it was for something else, which is, I think, very frightening. And I think is the the picture of hubris. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Mike Johnson. I wanted to go back to him because when he came, became the speaker of the GOP in the in Congress, one of the things that came up was that he was connected with a guy named David Barton. If you've ever heard of David Barton, he runs an organization out of Alito, Texas called Wall Builders, and he's probably the preeminent Christian nationalist historian, quote unquote, in America. And Johnson is indebted to David Barton for sort of, you know, helping him to construct his, quote, biblical worldview. You know, so this is what's driving a guy like Mike Johnson, people like David Barton, you know, this Dominion theology aspects of things. So that's a lot of what Mike Johnson's about. So yeah, these are very concerning things for people to watch out for. You know, I, I know we're about to wrap up and we will be continuing our conversation on your show. But I I uh, I saw this um it was a succession of photos um that were taken by people who 
had pictures, uh, I think, particularly of women in countries before a, a religious leadership took over their country. And it had women just walking about, wearing what they wanted, carrying school books because they were going to school or to college, driving cars, being doctors, whatever else. And then suddenly, then there would there be a year in that uh, underneath that picture when that was taken, 10 years later, from that 15, 20 years later, completely covered, couldn't even see their eyes, and not carrying any books, not going to school, not having a career, not driving cars, being faceless, being voiceless, being rightless. And so when I think about countries becoming religious, uh, I think about everyone suffering, but particularly the women and also the children. Uh, because what what message are they being raised with about how to treat people? That's true. I'm sure we can get into that when we get into the second half, because I've got a lot of questions for you about sort of the psychology of how does it affect people, in particular women, in raised in that sort of context. So I think we need to get into that for sure. Oh, yeah. Women, uh, LGBTQ, the whole trans community, all of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I look forward to it. I can't wait, actually. It's great to have you back on the show. Thank you so much, Rachel. I look forward to part two. Nice. One more thing before you go. Thank you so much to Clint for sharing some of his expertise with us. He has studied so much and has so much research, past and present, and I'm sure in the future as well, that he will hopefully share with us. He is so learned and cares so deeply about people not being taken advantage of, people not being lied to. When he talked about having this time in your life where you are in service to a group, to a leader, and then you find out that person either isn't who they said they were or you thought they were or they pretended to be or they should have been, and you've spent so much time, made so many sacrifices, really devoted yourself with your whole heart and your whole head, only to find out that they are doing things in either a fraudulent way or an abusive way or in a deceptive way, and that they really are going after having power, having dominion. And here you are, having given over so much trust to someone who cares more in a lot of situations about their own power and cultivating their own power and how to support other people's power who they think are going to be leaders, are really fostering and pushing a goal that you never signed up for, you might not even believe in. You can get very angry, as Clint was talking about. You can get very angry and also feel quite betrayed, and rightfully so. There is so much that we're going to be hearing about and so many episodes on this podcast about the idea of Christian nationalism and so much of what is happening now within our government here in the United States and maybe in other places around the world, and if so, please let us know, where there's actually a frightening movement that is both 
overt and covert to bring the United States into being a Christian nation. It's happening slowly but surely in some parts of the government. And also, luckily, there is more of an eye on it now. People are starting to notice how there really is a push towards making this a Christian country. When we talk about something like Christian nationalism, we talk about people, again, feeling like it is their right as a Christian to have dominion over mm, the United States and maybe eventually over the world. Dominion theology, also known as dominionism, is a group of Christian political ideas and ideologies that seek to institute a nation that is solely governed by Christians and based on their understandings of biblical law, their understandings. And as we know from anyone who you might sit down with who is of a different tradition than yours, and sometimes in a different denomination of your tradition, there are going to be very different understandings and interpretations of biblical law. So how can it be that people who are wanting to take over the country are somehow all going to have agreement about this biblical law? But more importantly, when people come forth and say, we know what this country was supposed to be like, we know what the world is somehow going to be better by having Christian nationalism really in charge, not only of the U.S., but of the rest of the world, I'm sure eventually would be the goal, then you have people who feel supreme and who act supreme and who also have decided that of the hundreds, if not thousands, of other religious traditions, theirs is the best. And that is why our founding fathers and People who you may have heard of, like Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, they were very clear about the need for the separation of church and state. And they argued that compelling citizens to support through taxation a faith they did not follow violated their natural right to religious liberty. So here you have people in 2024 saying, we know what this country was supposed to be like. We know why it was founded. None of them were there at the time that it was founded. None of them had anything to say, and none of them know. And they also have decided to ignore the actual founding fathers. Talk about entitlement. Talk about hubris. Talk about so much of we, what we see now, which is just this idea, we know what's best, and we know what's right, and this is the only way. All that kind of thinking, as you know, scares me. That's part of the reason that I do this podcast. So people will understand not only the fact that when someone comes out and makes a statement like that and can say that they are somehow speaking for the Founding Fathers, you want to poke holes in any kind of absolutist thinking. And for someone to decide, centuries later, what something was somehow supposed to be and what the decision really was is something that I would never have the lack of humility to even say, or I wouldn't even say it as a joke. There's no way 
that my conscience or conscientiousness would allow me to believe that I know better than the people who have actually done something and had a very different intention, in fact, the opposite, and for reasons around safety and for reasons around freedom. So as we move forward into a new political cycle, notice also how many times we are made to not notice what's happening. How many times suddenly people are elected into power who are part of this movement, and we think, how did that happen? And suddenly there are more people within our society who believe in this or think this is what the country was supposed to be founded on and the world maybe again eventually. You want to see how there are these subtle ways, the covert ways, that while we're looking elsewhere, they are getting under the skin of the people who are going out and voting. They are making people really feel like this is what would be best. It is already hard for people coming into any country feeling othered, but there's nothing like knowing that not only will you be othered, but you will be seen, all of you who are not part of this one tradition, as approaching everything the wrong way, thinking the wrong way, believing the wrong way, and needing their salvation, needing to convert in order to be safe. There are so many wars that have been fought in the name of religion, so many deaths that have occurred in the name of religion. We have to make sure that there is never one way of looking at things spiritually in a country so diverse, in a world so diverse. And I wish that there was more focus on things that really were universal messages. Not that we all need to believe this way, but I wish that all these people who are pushing this agenda of Christian nationalism were able to change their tune and were able to think about freedom or free nationalism or the idea of liberty for all, something that we could all benefit from, something that allows us to be us and live in a good and empowered and accepted way. But if you say that unless you believe this way, you're wrong, you're bad, you never know where it's going to go. But from what we've seen in the past, it doesn't go anywhere good. So keep your eyes open and notice what you need to notice about this movement and educate people, inform people, so that they are not drawn into these arguments. And they don't suddenly feel like they are somehow less than because they don't believe this way. I will talk to you next week. Take good care. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at indoctrinationpodcast and for Twitter find us at at underscore indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.